Should we start with three questions yeah. before I... Okay, so ladies, because last week was very intense, um, um, Liara and I had an idea that we should start with maybe two or three questions about last week's Shield before we go into the next exciting episode this week. Um, so, uh, it, it, you know, you can raise your hand and um, Esther will try and answer as uh, swiftly as possible before we go into the next one. And it won't be televised. Your questions won't be televised. Oh, yeah, and also please, everybody, switch off your phone. Or something. Okay. Are we starting from or do not start? I'm not starting. I don't want to put the questions on. Okay. Questions? Three? First, oh. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. against 
how we would expect a parent to be machanach a child. As he says, if a parent feels a child is something wrong, he does not go and hide behind the wall and throw stones at the child, never telling the child who's hurting him, why he's being hurt, what he should improve, nothing. And he said, that's my predicament. God is not explaining anything to me and why I'm suffering. And it doesn't make sense that this is chinuch. Clearly God's not trying to, like a father would or a mother would, teach me what I did wrong and teach me how to improve. That's not what's happening here because the friend keeps saying, this is a punishment for your sins. If you do tshuva, you will, and all these you serve will go away. So Eo says, this is not the way somebody teaches a person how to improve. There's no guidance here. And it's over, you know, it's, 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 it's excessive. It can't be an act of chinuch. It makes no sense. There's got to be something else going on here. And what Eo does here is um, he, in a sense, while always having a moon in Hashem, and he says later on, after even more and more accusations by his friends, he says, Go Ali Chai, my Redeemer is alive. He has faith in Hashem. But he's demanding to understand, and he's rejecting, this is what he was doing, he's rejecting the fact that he doesn't understand. The question is, where does this frustration in the ego come from? Where does this determination to find out why he's suffering? His persistence, which the friends have no understanding of, they don't get it. Uh, where is this coming from? It's coming from, and this is a theme running through all the chapters. The theme is that Eo is terrified and horrified at the possibility that these he's serving might mean, not be the same, but for some reason, God is rejecting him. God no longer wants any part of him. God has no interest in whether he is happy or not happy. He's completely rejected him. And that's an unbearable pain. Look what happened to Shaul Amalek when he experienced the same thing. It's an unbearable pain. A person cannot function. A person used to feeling as vicious of Hashem cannot function. Feeling rejected, utterly rejected by God, and compare that to a child of the parents, that's where the pain is. And then the, the, the theme that continues to to uh, find its way through all the talking is not only is he rejected by Hashem in his mind, correct? And that's why he wants understanding. He wants confirmation that this is not rejection. That Hashem somehow still loves him, even though he's going to be served. He couldn't, that, that, he could not figure out how to put the two together. He did not yet have the equipment, the tools, that a more developed person, like Fali Shol, did develop because of Abraham, that we can put these two together. That it is not rejection, and it doesn't mean Hashem doesn't love us, and Hashem still loves us even though we're suffering. That is a very hard, hard equation to, you know, to make work. Uh, to, you know, plus two. But not, you know, I'm suffering, and God's not rejecting me, and He loves me. It's hard. So, Eo was struggling with that. And that's why he wants help from Hashem with the answer, because he's suffering so much, as he says later, that he can't even think straight and figure the answer out on his own, how it could be that he's not being rejected by Hashem. 
And then he says, strong out through these chapters, as you see his friends' speeches get nastier and nastier, and they go from saying, no, you really probably sinned and you should do tshuva, they progress to, you must be the worst Russia that ever lived, who took advantage of everyone, who exploited everyone, who had no mercy. You see the way they say later on in the chapters, you see the way your skin is so in so much pain and even the softest bandage can't uh, soothe it. That's because you stole the clothing of the poor and the weak when you lent them money and you demanded their clothing as collateral. And you see that you can't eat because you took the food away from the poor and the weak. They really started, once they had this concept in their head that hey, this must be a punishment, then they went to town. They started telling them, need to make need to. And in the end, they really just came to the conclusion that he's a doomed Russia governor. So not only has Eo now experienced the feeling of rejection by Hashem, he also begins to experience rejection by the people that supposedly appreciated him. So this he's completely abandoned. So in this state of mind, which is the basic state of mind of these 15 chapters, we hear what Eo is saying from that place of a tremendous amount of pain, as Mark tells us, and the, the source of this, if you have my grandfather's book, is on page 189, A person is not held accountable for what they feel and say and think when they are in so much pain. Now, Eo never, never blasphemes Hashem, never denies Hashem's righteousness and goodness, never denies Hashem's justice, refuses to go there, but he feels so much pain, he demands an explanation. And he says, if this isn't just, I didn't deserve this, if something else is going on, please explain it to me. He knows something else is going on. Another very important overriding thing, theme we just have to deal with before we start looking into the chapters, is he and his friends are in a completely different predicament. You see, for Eo, there is an insurmountable theological problem that Hashem is punishing an innocent person, driving him away, breaking him down. And why would Hashem do that when all Hashem wants is that people should love him and be close to him? Why would Hashem, in his own, his own hands, violate that, contradict that? What's the point of existence if not closeness to Hashem? And why would Hashem then rip that away from a person and make a person unable to be close to him if all he wants from a person is that he should be close? It must be that Hashem really, really doesn't want anything from you. So Eo has a major theological, um, theological problem. Why would you reject a person? Why would you undermine the point of existence? Why would you, perhaps you're doing this for a purpose, Eo said, but the greatest asset, the greatest resource a human being has is their mind. And, and you do not allow me the tools to understand with my mind what you're doing. You shut my mind down too. My mind has no tools to deal with this. And what makes a human being human is not their mind. So here, I have no ability to understand this. I feel like you're rejecting me. I know you are you would do that. I know I you would punish an innocent person. So Eo has major theological problems, but his friends, so-called friends, have no problems at all. They have no dilemma. 
Because in their mind, it's very simple. What's the answer according to them? You have sinned and Hashem is punishing you. There's no questions here. It's clear from your fate that you are a sinner. And Neil spends a lot of time going in these chapters saying, you cannot tell from a person's fate whether they are a sinner or a talent. And he brings all kinds of proofs of how we're showing have blissful lives. So, so it doesn't prove that can't mean that that's a deacon, just because they have blissful lives. So they have no theological problem. They are not struggling. They are not confused. They are not humble by the fact that they don't understand anything. They are arrogant. They are sure of themselves. They get meaner and meaner and meaner when you're denied their, at their, you know, refuses to accept their position. And one thing for sure, they are not struggling with their, I mean, not at all. So we have nothing to learn from them except what is usher to do to a person when they're in service. Okay? And they are called Rashayim here in their chapters. They turn them very called Russia, they are the Rashayim. So if you're looking in chapter 10, Eok says, uh, first of all, he says, you are kind of telling me that, um, that uh, I should accept my, my, I should accept that I'm a Russia, because in chapter 15, because you're, you're constantly telling me that I'm just denying everything, I'm in denial, I should accept that I'm a Russia, as if it would be a mix-up for me to lie and say that I'm a Russia in order that God shouldn't look at That's what you're asking me to do? So he says in 15, in Rashati, if I have committed evil, Allah lie, wrong is to me. However, for Sadakti, but I remain righteous. Lo Esa Roshi, I shouldn't be able to lift up my head and say that this is, I, I, I'm, he said, I'm satiated with shame and I'm in misery, and it's because I'm righteous that this is a problem, because if I wasn't righteous, it would be, make a lot of sense. So he's telling them, you, um, you literally are asking me, your position is that I should lie, say I'm guilty, so that God doesn't look bad, because you're defending Hashem, but do you realize what you're doing? He's saying, look what Hashem is doing to me. And then later on he says, the God that you're defending, that he has a right to punish the sinner, so, and look at the way I'm sinning, even if you could find it a little sin in me, it doesn't make, it does not correlate to the punishments I'm getting. So what kind of God now? You've already portrayed God as so cruel and sadistic, who likes to see someone suffer, and all these terrible things that they're telling him are going to even more happen to him. In addition to what's happening, he's even going to get worse if he doesn't do tshuva. This is, this is how you're painting Hashem all in an attempt to defend him. Do you see where you're going with this? So my grandfather says here, by the way, entering into this whole section, if you're into the safer than 137, a beautiful essay here, the following years, and we mentioned this before, 137. But Eo is now going to speak about how the brain, the mind of the human being fails them. How the smartest people lose their intelligence. How people are doomed to make terrible mistakes because our brains just don't know enough and can't go to the furthest reaches of understanding, which is what he's having a problem. 
And then he's going to talk about how they're lying when they start telling him, you know, because here in Russia, it's going to get worse because the most terrible things happen to Rashaim, and they start taking a picture of these, the horrible tortures that Rashaim endured. And he says, it's not true. They were very nice lives. Let me give you a lot of examples. And even they don't only live very pleasant lives, they die pleasant deaths and have beautiful funerals. It's all not true. And he starts saying that why is a human being here where the righteousness, the righteous and the dead, they lay in the grave together, right? The, the wicked get away with all their evil and they have beautiful lives. The mind can't understand it. In the end, we are just trapped in our own, you know, pathetic little, you know, corner of understanding without any real, which doesn't give us any satisfaction. He starts speaking very negatively about life, about everything. Uh, as a terrible place. And my grandfather writes here that, um, as you said, that the Judaism would be a religion like all other religions, and the Torah would be man-made, save for Eos would have never come to light. It would have been considered sacrilegious, questions all the basic premises, Hashgachla, God's justice, the the whole thing. But the fact that it's written and the Moshe Rebbe means that these feelings and ideas and questions need not be suppressed. They are natural, they arise, that's where when people think. And as long as people know that they're asking the questions, not as rebellion, like you, but not rebellion, but to get answers. My grandmother's going to say in chapter 23 that just like coming up on an argue in the base measures over what the halacha is because they want to understand it, this is in the same category. Eo is trying to understand more deeply the ways of Hashem. And how this and how Shem operates in this world. It's a it's a He's trying to bring out truth and even says, even if I die, if I die, let people study my story and think and maybe in future generations they'll work it out and they'll come to an understanding and it will be a lesson for everyone. He wants, he knows that his story is important, it deals with the most fundamental issues, and he wants it to be understood. In chapter um, 11, his, this, uh, the second friend, um, the uh, third friend, Sofar, Sofar, who he's, in, he's the third friend and he is uh, he's the most straight out and he's the most, he starts out really turning the conversation to a much harsher, uh, he has a much harsher tone of voice he starts using and he starts saying, you don't understand anything. You have no idea about how, how Hashem conducts the world. You are trying, and this is all true, you are trying with your human mind to understand God's deepest secrets. So guess what? You're never going to understand Hashem's secrets. It's even arrogant to expect yourself to. And he says, you know what you are? You are a hollow person. He calls him a hollow man. Look at Pasuk Ube. He says, may a hollow man become heartened. May you get a heart. May you get some circle. May you get some understanding. You're like a wild donkey. May you evolve into a human being. You're a, you're a creature with no doubt, with no chasma, no understanding. You refuse to look into yourself. You refuse to admit that you sin. You think you can understand God. You're an empty shell. And the sooner you stop to get out of this position and start admitting that you're guilty and God is correct and you're imperfect, then you know what happened with Yeshua. And it's a beautiful future will lay in store for you. Everything will be wonderful. Your previously troubled world will become bright as bright as the day of life. 
And uh, your second half of your life will be more glorious and more perfect than the first half of your life. Okay? Eo listens to this, rejects it completely. Now they mean you are an empty person. How dare you not eat your specs? How dare you sit here and deny that you're guilty? You must admit you're guilty because we need you to admit you're guilty in order for us to maintain our simplistic understanding of how God conducts the world. And he's going to call them on that. He's going to call them simple-minded fools who are happily going around in their, in their, in their very childish-like attitudes. Like, everything's so simple. The equation is so, is so obvious. You know, if you're good, you get good things, and if you're bad, you get bad things. So EO now they do not understand EO again, this is reiterated over and over again, this is a part of EO, and he keeps going back to it. They have no clue where he's coming from. Again, where is he coming from? Fear that Hashem is rejecting him. Now, these assurance that Hashem has given EO fall into the category entirely of Yisurim Shalah. They are Yisurim that are designed to cultivate in a person a great love for Hashem. Eo is having a hard time mustering up that full love because what's getting in the way is his feelings of abandonment and rejection by Hashem. And he can't take it. And he wants reassurance that he is still loved by Hashem even though he's suffering. He, in his mind, suffering must equal lack of love. Abraham, who started the Jewish people, taught us a lesson which has been deeply integrated into us, which is suffering do not constitute lack of love. There are some people we serve Shalab. Suffering which is for love and from love. Somehow the human condition is that without some degree of suffering, a human being cannot find, cannot in, in, uh, develop their true connection to Hashem. That's a fact. Yisurim is not something that proves God is rejecting us. Yisurim is what a person gives us to draw out of us a humility, a closeness, an amuna, some, something that will bring us into connection with Hashem because all other options for salvation and comfort have, have exhausted themselves and provide nothing. And are not the answer. And so we turn only to Hashem. So this shift, Leo had not made yet. He has not made the shift in his mind that Yisurim do not necessarily equal rejection. They equal love. This is too hard for him. He's too exhausted, he says, and too much in pain to work that out in his head. In uh, Eo's fourth speech, he, he replies to Sofar. And um, on page one, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, on page 155, he officially labels them as Sha'ananim. This is the ultimate insult. He says to them, he says, first he starts out and he says, Do you think that you're the smartest people and you have a monopoly of wisdom? I too have a heart. I am not less than you. Okay? And yet I become a figure, a figure of ridicule. Okay? So he says like this, I am not the one who should be shamed, like you're shaming me. The one who should be shamed is the following person, Tasak 5. Lapid Bose, Lashot Sha'anan. 
a firebrand of shame belongs to the Sha'anam. Who is the Sha'anam? This is the person that we are not allowed to be. The Sha'anam is the person who is content of mind. Everything is very simple. My grandmother says here, the Sha'anam is a person who is relaxed, has no worries, and is therefore without self-reproach or doubts. He is very satisfied with his view of life. To such a person, all vicissitudes of life fit into a neat blueprint. The righteous are rewarded for the good life, and the wicked are punished for their sins, and there are no great areas in between. He lives a happy, relaxed life because everything is mapped out for him, and he has answers to all of the questions. If there are earthquakes or tornadoes in which thousands of people die, he simply views it as a punishment for their sins, similar to the destruction of Sodom. And Ea was going to say, let me prove to you that this is ridiculous, it's childish, it's foolish, it's undeveloped, and it's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's shameful that somebody who lived the life and looked around the world will, but should still think this way, right? He should say, shame on you. If you look at my girlfriend at 156, he always saying to his friend, do not direct your accusations of shame to me, but rather reserve them for those like yourselves who were simplistically secure in their life views, to those who were sha'anan, with preconceived notions of everything in life, only to lose their footing and question God's justice when life dealt them an adverse blow. To them you can say, shame on you, how dare you question God's judgment. However, I am not a sha'anan. I do not hold simplistic worldviews. I don't question God's judgment. My problem is that since I know I'm innocent, I want to understand why Hashem is punishing me. So he uh, is again, he says, I just don't know why Hashem wants to push me away from him. And he says, and I know that it cannot be what you're saying, that I'm guilty. He says, my mind senses that the truth is opposite. I feel it's not true. I sense it's a lie because I've looked around the world and I've seen how wicked people prosper all over the place. And let me give you some examples. And he says, therefore, you can't make this equation. So I just want to read you here a little bit more. In 158, Eo says, as he has become older, the experiences of his, of his life have taught him that man is forced to put aside his youthful, simplistic notions that everything is clear-cut and fits into simple patterns of right and wrong. His experiences, his experiences have taught him that human beings have no understanding of what is ultimately right or wrong, because only Hashem knows, and he says, you accept everything just the way it is, as long as it fits into your little plan, so you can call out to God, and he answers your prayers, as long as your foot does not slip, and everything is going well. He said, I too used to subscribe to that worldview, but I grew older, and I want to know more, and I don't doubt Hashem's justice. But life has shown me that it's not always so that it's so simple, right? Sometimes suffering people are misfollowed, they pray, and nothing happens. They do not recover. Go explain back to me and keep telling me to pray. We've seen so we can in, 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 in terrible suffering and they pray, and Hashem doesn't seem to answer them. It's not true that if you do chuba, Hashem will answer you and everything will get better, and if you're Russia, you'll suffer, and if you're Tadik, you'll be rewarded. It's simply not true. And he brings Later on, a description of the Dara model. And he says, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they were just 
perpetuating this cruelty, this exploitation of the rich or exploiting the poor, and on and on and on and on, and no one ever stopped them, and they lived beautiful lives until finally the model at the end of a very long time. Remember the hundreds of years of people never being punished? It just isn't like that. We don't understand Hashem's ways. And he's bringing up a very, very big, uh, big issue, a very confusing issue, which he says horrifies him and paralyzes him. And then on page 160 in chapter 12, um, uh, he says the following. He says, you know, the fact that we cannot understand this he says, is because, um, is because the human being doesn't have the mind, the equipment, he says. But furthermore, there's another issue here. We, as human beings, because we don't see everything, we are destined to make terrible mistakes. We are destined to fall into traps. We are destined to sin, even sin itself. Let's say someone is a sinner. And let's say, we, you say that because that person is a sinner, they deserve punishment. Let's explore the whole development of sin itself. Why does a person sin? Because they get caught up in their own perspective, and they have temptations, and they have desires, and they want power. Well, who put that into man? Where does that all come from, the Yitzhara? God created it. God must take responsibility for man's failures, and therefore, now go question the whole concept of punishment. Why should a person be punished? Who gave man a Yetzirah in the first place? And by the way, this is a very strong argument, because regarding the Korban, regarding the Korban, there's a Gemara that says, Hashem says, the third day of this will be built with fire. Right? You've all heard that, whatever that means, we're not sure. Hashem says, Ani Hotseti Ish Tzion. I lit that fire in Tzion. I will rebuild it with fire. And the question is, why? How did Hashem light that fire 2,000 years ago that destroyed the base of Mikdash? The Romans lit the fire. So, oh, no, no. No, but we know it's not the Romans. Hashem would have never given the Romans power had the Jewish people not been deserving of a Korban. So, who really created the Korban? The Jewish people. But well, wait a second. Well, how did the Jewish people really kind of like promote the Torah? They sinned. Well, who gave them the Yitzhahara? God. So who really destroyed the Yitzhahara? Hashem did. But Hashem says, yes, I take responsibility. I did give you the Yitzhahara. Therefore, I'm the cause to some degree of all the sin. And therefore, it's my responsibility to rebuild the Yitzhahara. In fact, in Hashem's Pinchas, we're told that among all the carbonates that are given on the shoulders, there's an additional one called Chatas La Hashem. And the Gemara says, why is this one unique in that it's called Chatas La Hashem? And the Gemara answers, Hashem says, bring a carbon Chatas on my behalf, because I diminish the moon, which is code language, according to my grandfather, for hiding myself, which is code language, which is means letting you live in a world where you got caught up in your own delusion because I was hidden, and therefore you sinned, and I have to be a carbon katas, it's my sin. I set up a world like that. In other words, Hashem gave us the chiyah and knows that because of this lechiyah kachas, we can get ourselves into trouble, and therefore takes a flyers for it, believe it or not. So now, why would someone even be punished? It's a big question. You know, brings us up.
And therefore, even when I said is punishing, so to speak, we cannot speak about punishment. We have to speak about chinah, about lessons, about education. So they're going to start portraying Hashem as cooler and cooler and more determined to punish Eov, right? And Eov is saying they have very notion, even according to your opinion, very notion that a person should be punished because they did a bad thing and therefore they should get some, you know, they should be hurt because they did something against Hashem. That whole thing doesn't, is, is illegitimate. If anything, because Hashem, if Hashem hid himself and therefore we make mistakes, then the only thing we can say is that Hashem teaches us guides us, shows us through Yisurim what we're supposed to be doing right. But it wouldn't be vindictive like the way you're describing it or about to describe it. And if Hashem is compassionate and is showing us how to, how to improve ourselves, well in my case I have a problem with that too because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't figure this out. So it's very, these are substantial um, this, you know, uh, 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 observations. And Eos is very, very frustrated. The fact that a human being cannot understand God, that God puts people in a predicament where because of the Chira, because he hides himself through real sin, then people say that it's for being punished. The punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. Tons of people who are, because of Hashem's hiddenness, sinning in the most terrible ways. Forget about the Muslim, but the Muslim exploiting other people in the cruelest ways where nothing happens. So how do we make sense of the whole, the whole thing? That's that's Eo's, uh, you know, bursting out with all his frustration in chapter 12. In chapter 13, okay, in chapter 13, Eo goes on to, um, Eo goes on to uh, say, I want to discuss, this is where he starts speaking, he says, okay, listen, I'm not interested in what you have to say anymore, I only want to talk to Hashem. I want to have a debate with a historical because the only thing that dignifies a person, what makes us human, is our mind, and my mind is at a loss here, and I need to understand, and I would like to have this conversation with Hashem. Here is a fundamental question, a fundamental idea that is brought out in this um, because of this request, and that is that uh, and we spoke about this. Here, that what Eov is doing is Eov is demanding understanding, again, because of his fear of rejection. On page 166, this is worth reading. We spoke about this in the introduction. Eov has to become educated. This is the crux of the matter. He is functioning from a position that he needs to understand with his mind. Because, as we said before, it seems like rejection, and how could it be love and not rejection? Eo was making the claim that the human mind is what dignifies us, and it's so cruel and so painful to find that with our own mind we can't understand what's happening. If Hashem takes some wisdom away from the intelligence, He makes smart people make stupid mistakes because of other factors come in. He's bemoaning the fact that the human being is beset with a certain confidence that they can find their way because they have a mind, but then desperation that their own mind betrays them. But who should I rely on if not my mind? And how should I, and what should I use to deal with this if not my mind? What else is there? He's missing something. He's forgetting. He's overlooking something. 
And I'm wrong to give Khatam the Akeda, and this is the legacy of the Jewish people. He didn't sacrifice Yitzchak. That would not be Akeda of Yitzchak. But he did sacrifice something. He sacrificed his belief that the highest part of man is his mind. He put his mind on the Akeda and he sacrificed it. There's no way he could understand what Shem's asking him to do. So what is there left to serve Hashem with if not the mind? The heart. That is the Jewish message. When the mind fails us, because it will, we have something else in its place to keep us attached with love to Hashem, and that is the heart. The high point of existence is not making the right choices based on a perfect mind that understands everything. The ultimate achievement of a human being is making the right choices as best as they can according not only to their mind, but according to their love that comes from their heart. The Chira Hachis is the crowning jewel of the human being, not their brains and their intellect. That's the essence here. The crowning jewel of the human being is their Vachira, not their intellect. We are not like God in that we are as smart as God. We are like God and we are creators like God. We create our reality. We create the world we're going to live in. We choose our values. We are Selamalokim, this is a fundamental idea that we always talk about. Selamalokim means that we are like God. Not physically, God is not physical. Not emotionally, because God has no emotions and moods. And not intellectually, we have no, even our emotional being, when he develops himself to the highest possible point, right before he died. And he knew more than any human being will ever know what he said about himself. You just are now beginning to show me your cover. So, how are we similar to Hashem? The Nefesh Ha'anoi, the beginning of Ha'anoi, the Ha'anoi, the Ha'anoi, the beginning of Nefesh Ha'anoi, Tell him Elohim. Elohim is the Anakal, Tell him Shakai, Tell him Nikkei, Tell him Kel, but Elohim. Elohim is one of the names of Hashem. It has its own definition. It is the only name of Hashem that is found in Perak Allah in Bereshus. That Perak is the Perak of creation. The only name of God we're going to find is Elokim. Elokim is creator. Tell Elokim is we are creators. How do we create? By choosing to create. What the world that we want to see, want to live in. The world we create is based on our values, our beliefs, that we develop through our learning and our Messiah, right? That's, we create our worlds. We are like God in having the hero to create the world of our choice. We are not like God in having knowledge and understanding. The ultimate crowning glory for human being is their Bechira, not their intellect. And this is what we have struggled with. The choice to love Hashem and trust Hashem when our mind fails us. That's what I've run with, and that's the legacy for the Jewish people. And that's chapter 14, and 179, my grandfather elaborates on this idea, because suffering is what is confusing you when he says, chapter 179, uh, page 179, Eov says, 
And this is, he explains that what Dio does not yet know, that the acceptance of suffering is not an, a, uh, an obstacle to man's tasks on earth, it is part of man's tasks on earth. This is the essence. It's not an obstacle. It's part of man's task on earth. Man is placed on earth with the ability to overcome suffering and stress. These are placed before him to allow him to use this ability to overcome them and earn his reward. If one purports to be a God-fearing religious man and has accepted upon himself all martial shamayim, and he then is faced with a severe test of his faith, he is being given an opportunity to pass this test and earn its reward. So this is, um, this is in chapter 13, the fundamental lesson which you have not come to. By, by, by working to accept suffering, the, the, an aspect of that, an extension of that is, it's the task of overcoming adversary, adversity, sorry, it's, it's overcoming adversity, in, uh, and this, this, this overcoming adversity operates on many levels. It is one of the forces applied in the destruction of innate defective character traits. When a person has a particular ch- character trait, they have to improve themselves. And that involves and requires suffering, personal, private, secret suffering. But that's also part of man's development in the world. And a whole person is involved with this. Eel hasn't gotten there yet, and he falls into despair because of the suffering. He hasn't learned his lesson. And he even at this time lapses for a moment and wonders if there's even an Omakama. Starting with chapter with um, chapter 15, because Eo is denying just that maybe there's no Omahaba, he doesn't yet know that suffering is love, he thinks suffering is rejection. He's bemoaning the, the futility of man's mind, how it doesn't help that person, and, it's, and how a man is doomed to fail because, because we don't, you know, we don't, we can't see all things, we can't always be correct, and how we're going to sin, how God makes us sin, because he gives us the Sahara, all of this stuff. That encourages Alifaz, the first of the friends, to go back at him now and say, oh, okay, now your true colors are coming out. To kick a man when he's down. To torture someone because they're suffering. To blame the victim. This is what Elifar does now. And, uh, and he heaps further blame and uh, accusations on him. And he says like this. He says in chapter, in page 193, he says, um, page 193, sorry. He says, you're right, Eob says. He says, you must be, you must, uh, the fact that you can talk like this, this is, uh, this proves that you are a sinner. And then Eob has said, he says, you said that, ma- that the human mind is limited. That's true. And you said that man will sin. That's true. But now Eob says, I see from you that's even further. That the human being, this is where Christian we denied it completely, the human being has got to admit that their suffering is a factor of the fact that they are sinners because humanity is doomed to sin. We cannot escape sin. And he's not speaking about it like you. 
When Neil spoke about it, he said, a human being has a Yetzirah, and therefore we make mistakes. So why would Hashem punish us so harshly if he's partially responsible for those mistakes? And that's a legitimate argument, completely. And the answer is yes, that's why it isn't. Hashem is not blaming us completely for the errors. He does see that it's partially because of the Yetzirah, and it's a balance. How much do we allow that Yetzirah to blind us? Sometimes we are very, we are in in cahoots with the Yetzirah. But at least how it says, man is doomed, he's a sinner, tainted forever, incapable of being perfect, and therefore, your argument that you are not a sinner cannot be true, because man, by definition, cannot be perfect. Yoga, the grandmother stresses here, says man could not be a sinner, but Yoga is not a sinner. People who strive in all ways to be close to Hashem can escape the natural default mechanism, which is that man will sin from his day to heart. That is only if man is not vigilant, and if man lets himself. And maybe, yes, maybe even if a person is vigilant, though, because there's a time of sin here and there, but does the tshuva, okay, no, not that no one will let us sin. But you just saying, you know, we're in a predicament where sin is, in a sense, part of God's plan. Yeah, Elikov is speaking very differently. He's seeing it, saying, by definition, man is so much lower than God, there's no possibility that he's not a sinner. No one can escape this. There's no such thing as avoiding it. So you must be a sinner. And uh, as my grandfather says, this is the philosophy of the Christian religion, it is not our philosophy. Elikov's statement is that man is inherently sinful, is not is only partially true because what you are saying, right? If a person chooses to remain, and he shows the pusik here, a lower level human, which he calls an energy, a human being who has sunk into a very low level and allows himself to remain far from Hashem, then he has no chance, or almost no chance, of not sinning. But but that doesn't mean that he can't there cannot be Sadiqin, he'll grant a course of Sadiqin, he is a Sadiq, there are Sadiqin, but nevertheless God cannot be so harsh in punishment because it's partially his responsibility. It's a different argument completely. So, um, so Eo goes here uh, speaking, I'm sorry, in chapter 15, Elifaz is speaking, and um, he starts describing to Eo how terrible his life is going to get if he persists in being a Russia and how much he's going to suffer. And if you go through chapter 15, you will see that he paints this bleak picture of a hedonist, which is called Neo, a hedonist and self-denial who stuffs himself, who exploits everybody else, who calms everybody into thinking he's a savage. This is how it starts to shift. And this is who you are, and this is how you're even going to get worse, and you should see the terrible things that are going to start happening to you, and he starts describing that loneliness and fire will consume the tents of your bribery, okay? A terrible thing. He calls him a liar, a hypocrite, and a con man, fooling the world that he's righteous, but in truth, it must be that he's just, you know, this is an act. This is where he turns to, okay? He says, you're so deep in that you have fooled yourself above all, but don't worry, you will die a tortured death after having been exposed for what you truly are a hypocrite, and you will spend your entire eternity in lonely isolation and misery. That's nice. 
So, chapter 16. Eo's speech is replied to Eliphaz. He says, he says, um, the worst thing that happened to me is the betrayal of my friends. He says, um, they called me a Russia. And if you look on page 206, Eo says to his friend, will you ever stop telling me this nonsense? Your words carry no weight. Your arguments are flimsy. They're blown away by the wind. Then he says to them, but what is provoking you? What is bothering you? Why do you feel the need to be like this and talk like this to me? So he says, like a case for Zivre Ruach, is there no end to your blustery words? What is provoking you to talk like this? And he answers for them. He says, do you know what's provoking you to be so evil to me? You're insisting, first of all, your simplistic point of view, which we already talked about. Yeah, everything is simple, and that I must be a rush of blah, blah. And the other thing provoking is you cannot deal with any questions about God. If any of my arguments, which you all know are true, would enter your mind, you would lose your faith in an instant. You wouldn't have any way to deal with it. The only way to hold on to your superficial and, uh, in a sense, very, um, uh, what's the word, unflattering kind of view of God is to keep on with this you know, very simple point of view, good is good, bad is bad, and therefore that's provoking you. You're the hollow shell. You have no amuna. You can't deal with a God that you don't understand. Okay? And then in passage two, uh, page 208, according to uh, my grandfather says here, you have eaten the turn for Hashem in total, total despair. Total despair. And he says, Hashem, not on top of everything else, you have sent your shayim to bandage my wounds. You sent these people to heal my wounds, but they have only made them worse. They are a shayim. In their effort to cure me, they have used the most hurtful means. They have insulted me deeply. They have accused me of destroying the fear of God in others, although I love you with all my heart, even though I am suffering. So um, then here's where things turn, in at page 209, uh, 209, uh, passage 13. He says, this is what they're doing now. They're saying, Eo, the proof that you're Russia is in that you're suffering. In other words, because of what you're going through retroactively allows us to conclude that you are a Russia. So you know who else used this, uh, used this argument? Someone else, one of our enemies used this argument. The Christian church, after they captured the Jews and they got some power. So they started for all through the Middle Ages, going back to the 500s, all the way until the church lost power in the Reformation. They kept the Jewish people alive, but in the worst of conditions, always in some little ghetto, with no, you know, constantly uh, forbidding them to engage in almost any profession except the ones that were sure to get them, you know, get the blood, the anger, the blunt of the anger of everybody else turned against them. They, you know, they kept them downtrodden. They wouldn't let them have, you know, you know, develop businesses. They suppressed us. They kept us persecuted. They kept us dirty and diseased and isolated and poor and ignorant. And you know why they did that to us? 
so that we would be for them exhibit A that God has rejected the Jews. In other words, let's create a scenario where they are just completely despised and dejected and disgraced. Let's create that with our own laws and then use that to prove, see how miserable the Jews are? Look at them. That proves God has rejected them. Exhibit A. That's what we, we, that we endured that for thousands of years. Right? As soon as they no longer have the power to do that, the Jews burst on the scene to take over so much of the human advancement that nobody can say, you see how miserable they are, that proves God rejected them. And they still start to go. This is what the real friends are saying. By virtue of the fact that you're suffering, that speaks for itself. That's the proof that you're in Russia. And they are adding to the suffering, making him more miserable, driving him down further in order to make him suffer more. And that proves, again, that it must be in Russia. So um, now we move into quickly the last few chapters. 17, uh, he has rebuttal here. Okay, he keeps, he says, I am not going to do what he, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm guilty so that I could please you or please God, that you think that would please God. And um, we're going to go into the whole uh, very beautiful discussion on 217, again, about expressing these feelings. And he says that, you know, here he just stops for a second and says, perhaps Safer Eo, who is a depressing Safer with all of this, says it's not depressing at all. It is very important to express these negative feelings, this confusion, sadness, crying, despair, expression of all of these things. It's cathartic. It helps a person. We need to say them, get them out, and then keep learning because we find the answers. We find the resolution for them. In chapter 18, um, it seems to indicate, by the way, that many people were coming and going and people were listening to this whole back and forth. Okay, and here's where they, they get even, here's an argument they make which is just utterly demoralizing. They say, do you know why you're so miserable? And you can't figure out what's wrong with you and you can't bring yourself to admit you're a sinner and do tshuva? You know why? Because when you really are rushing, the worst possible thing that can happen to anyone finally happens to you, your own neshama betrays you and abandons you and doesn't give you any guidance. Now you're just a, a walking force. Now you don't even have a neshama to help you. You have destroyed your neshama within you. It is no longer operative. Now you're nothing but a corpse walking around still somehow alive, but your neshama has abandoned you. He says that is the ultimate curse, my grandfather says in 2.23. The curse of the Russia is that he will receive no help from his neshama in struggling with his Yitzhahara and his confusion, and now they're accusing you of that. Not only are you a Russia who exploited the weak and the poor, you have no soul. Your own soul has abandoned you. That's how far it's come. And they feel no, um, they feel no sense of guilt for talking to you like this, which is a terrible thing. You replies to Bildad. He says, you all don't understand me. And uh, he says, and then he basically says, just because Hashem is punishing me, do you too have to persecute me? You are supposed to show compassion yeah, I'm objective of a human being. What Hashem wants to see from his children, like a parent wants to see from their ch children. Because the parent has to punish one child, the parent does not want to see all the other children say, yeah, 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 and punish him. 
The parent wants to see the other children come to his defense, pray for him. He says, it's not bad enough that Hashem is persecuting me. Now you jump on the bandwagon and persecute me too? What kind of person are you? And, um, and he says, you know what? Nobody accepts that I'm telling the truth. Nobody understands me. Nobody is helping me. There is no solution. I have no guidance. All I can hope for now is that after I die, my miserable death, my story will remain. People will study it. And maybe down the line, they will find something to help them understand Hashem Benef through my personal sufferings. Something good will happen to it. But he says to them, it is a huge sin to agitate a person, on page 233, to agitate a person who's suffering is a terrible avera. And he said, furthermore, the Torah tells us that Hashem avenges the persecution of weak people with death by the sword. Okay, do not take advantage or persecute the weak, that's the widows and, uh, and the orphans and anybody who's vulnerable. Eov is saying to his friends, I am a dying, innocent man, and you are persecuting me for nothing. For this, you have every reason to fear God's punishment in this world and the next world. Then comes so far speech in 20. We'll go through this quickly. You could read it yourself. It's the most vicious of all of them. It is absolutely horrible. He describes the terrible torture that will come upon a Russia, meaning Eov, and how he will suffer, unrelenting suffering. And then Eo, this is so far speech, convinced getting harsher and harsher, that this is it, you don't even know what you're doing to yourself, the worst is yet to come. So then Eo starts in 21, and this is fundamental, he goes into a long, very well worked out speech, which is worth to read about how you're wrong for shining, don't suffer. You're telling me all the horrible things are going to happen because I'm in Russia. Let's look around the world. Guess what? The Shining don't suffer. It's not even true, this whole thing. You're threatening me with the terrible hellfire and brimstone doom that the Shining are doomed to. But that's not even true. And the truth is that the Eov makes his argument about how um, it's not true at all. Then uh, so far concedes. He, uh, they have to concede to Eov and he never hear from so far again. And he, my grandfather says on 250, or just a couple more minutes. Um, you're making a really big mistake. You think the mind of a Christ is like your mind. You think you understand what is punishment and what is reward. When you see a person who's considered a solid suffering, you will then have to say that the punishment is well deserved because the person is really a Russia. The answer is not a solid deal. And when you see a person who's known as a Russia prospering and dying without any suffering, you will say, of course, oh, but he will receive his punishment in Elam Hamba. Are you going to answer everything? So, me, so, this is logic. If you consider me a Russia, right, then I should get my punishment in Elam Hamba. Why am I being punished in this world? If I'm being punished in this world, maybe I'm a Sadiq, that's not really a Sadiq, right, that's what I'm getting here. So then having to explain if I'm really Russia, I should, I should be punished in the next world, because the proof is, now I'm going to have to show you, you have a beautiful life here, why am I different? So, um, because you cannot tell from a person's face whether they are a Tzadik or a Russian. Okay? You cannot tell. And then he says, um, this is, you, 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 you know, he, dis- he, uh, he dismisses them. Alifaz tries to respond, and he starts, and he said, this is also, this is where it gets terrible. He says, they start doing the Nidah, Nidah thing. You know why you can't eat? Because you stole people's food. You know why you can't, you know, feel comfortable? Because you stole people's clothing. 
and we found in 23, 24, and 25, uh, turns away from them. He said, I, you know, the bottom line is, we're done, and, he, and at the end of the speeches, essentially, he says, um, I'm just trying to understand what Hashem is doing, and 263, what, what we said before, it is an integral part of Torah learning to work out the difficulties, contradictions, part of logic, use our, our knowledge as best as we could. That's what I'm trying to do, he says, it's legitimate, but I, I'm exhausted, I have no more strength to do it, that's why, I need Hashem uh, to help me. And he rebuts them and he says, the descriptions of how bad a Russia is, let me tell you what I've seen about Hashem. And he starts describing the worst exploitation and cruelty that he has observed in this world, the rich exploiting the poor and getting away with it and having a very respectable you know, uh, reputation despite it all. And he's seen it all and they've seen it all. And you know what? These people live well, they die well, their funerals are beautiful. And, um, and after his, his very eloquent description of the Shayim that do very well in this world and therefore blows their whole entire argument out of the water, all the threats of all the terrible things that could happen to him, now that's not true either, and, uh, or could be true, or doesn't mean anything if it is true, just as nothing you say is, is provable, is borne out, is logical, it's not in my experience, it's not your experience, it's conjecture, it's imagination, and it's mean and it's cruel and you know and you have this you have ultimately this is the essence of Eo's suffering and no one understands him his own friend adds to his suffering God might be rejecting him his brain can't figure it out he cannot get an answer he doesn't know what to do at all he's completely lost he hasn't shifted he hasn't made that shift in his paradigm that when the mind fails you, and human beings, your friends' minds fail them, and nobody has a mahalo, and nobody has direction, and nobody has anything to help it to say, and nobody has any type of order to make, to make any order out of it. That's when you give up the whole enterprise of understanding anything with your mind, and you shift to your heart, and you find that you can develop a love for a circle in your heart after all. And um, in 25, they concede that uh, a lot of Yehud's arguments make sense. And nobody, and they certainly, you know, a lot of what they've said cannot be proven. And then we turn to the last 15 chapters, next week in the Hashem of the Sefer, and finally get to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and their third and fourth friend, uh, who enters the conversation, Elihu, and then finally HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who resolves these things with a great nevoir, which is for all of us, because all our questions, all the questions that have grown up, must, they're percolating in our heads, we must carry through to the end of the paper to start finally getting some direction with these things. Okay, questions? Struggling with confusion, and Eo is a tragic story of a person who 
who unfortunately does not have the benefit of the lessons that the Jewish people have of Abraham to help him through. What, you know, the story, what happens to a person if they don't have the direction of Abraham, of our Torah, of how to approach these things, of what the right attitude is? This is, the, these are the traps to avoid. Eov is a story of the traps that a person will fall into if they don't shift and start to understand the Jewish people's message, starting with Abraham. So he's always compared to Abraham. Eov is not blamed. He's just the description, the narrative of the human condition without the proper emunah and Hashem. Correct. This is the desperation, the fear, the hopelessness of the human being, both the friends and you, when they do not have a total perspective on suffering. You either become like one of the friends, or you become like you. Everybody is lost. Everybody is upset. Everybody is angry. Everybody is frustrated. Everybody is fighting with each other, all because they're missing the, 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 you know, the key. That's, this is a story of the traps we, we don't fall into. That's what we have to learn here. And Eo, unfortunately, is a very orphaned savior. No one ever looks at it because it's long and you think, oh, all these arguments are the same thing all over again. It's not true. My grandfather has done an enormous service to humanity by trying to giving the Jewish, explaining everything, working it through the most beautiful language, the most sensitive soul, and wise. He was such a wise person. He understood people. And he's presented all the arguments in the safer in English and helps us work through these things. And yes, Eov is the go-to safer for all questions of Sarakurala, for Yusurim, for fear. For ch- this is the go-to safer. Safer Eov, it's Tanakh. Everything written after this does not measure up to the safer. This is the safer. And it's accessible, thanks to my grandfather. It is a beautiful, there are other, you know, pollution written before this one, I'm not saying that. But this is, you know, modern. And it's uh, current and it speaks in our language. And so well developed. So I think it's a tremendous, matana, tremendous gift for Jewish people. Yeah. What do we say? Did it happen or was it a mushal? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It has happened. Huh? It has happened. Among us, as we speak, are eos. Okay? And if this particular person didn't live in this particular scenario, he's the official prototype of an eos. What makes this eos so, so unique is because any time a person suffers and they're a sinner, or they sin, they don't have these issues because, yeah, could be that it's an onus for my heroes. Fine. Eo, you don't have to open it for Eo. But Eo is, has a much different problem. He says, I'm a tzaddik and I'm suffering. That's a problem. <laughs> so we have Eo's among us. There are tzaddikim who suffer. There are people who are not perfect tzaddikim, but they suffer way beyond the small sins they might be doing. And like Eve said, even if they do sin in some ways, who 
told this anyway? Who gave us the example? So why is it so harsh, the response? And so we come up with this sort of like a social but it doesn't matter if you did or didn't live. You was every man. You was everybody's questions. The Jewish people sometimes have been yield. In the Holocaust, the whole nation was collectively yield. Did you turn more? Thank <laughs> you. 